Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is my man, Coles. How you doing? Hello, I'm doing good, good. Happy to be back. It, it feels like forever since we seen each other but it's only been like a week so that tells you how right <laughs> how dedicated we are <laughs> that's right when you see each other, and it's not even just the recordings because usually we'll see each other at a screening here and there but we've kind of been i think offset a little bit and that we've you know had some misses there and here and there so yeah it, it does feel like it's been a lot longer than just a week apart but nice to see your pretty face again and your Lakers sweatshirt which always brings me joy <laughs> even though we suck. All right. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Well, if you're new here on FF Plus, our format is very straightforward. We will talk about what we like, what we don't like, and we will make a recommendation for you about whether we think a movie is worth your time and money. It's that simple, short, and it's spoiler free. We're going to kick things off today with a movie that is actually already in the theaters, and this is not something we normally do. But this is a big Oscar contender, and it is a film that we both wanted to screen early. And unfortunately, here in Seattle, sometimes we don't get the opportunities that they get in L.A. and New York. And so we didn't get to see Spencer, uh, the Princess Diana biopic, early. We got to see it right on release day. And so that's why you're getting a little bit of a later review. But for those of you who didn't rush out and see this already, we're here to give your thoughts and let you know whether we think it's worth your time to make a theater trip. The movie, Spencer, it stars Kristen Stewart, Jack Farthing, Timothy Spall, Sean Harris, and Sally Hawkins. It is directed by Pablo Lorraine, and it is written by Stephen Knight. What is it about? The marriage between Princess Diana and Prince Charles has long since grown cold. Though rumors of affairs and a divorce abound, Peace is ordained for the Christmas festivities at the Queen's estate. There's eating and drinking, shooting and hunting. Diana knows the game, but this year, things will be profoundly different. So if you're unaware, uh, Pablo Lorraine last directed, actually I don't know if it was the last movie he made, but I know that recently he did direct a movie called Jackie that you may remember Natalie Portman starring in. So he's no uh, stranger to a royal political type figure, uh, female empowerment. And so uh, if you remember that film, if you like that film, that might be a little bit of a, a good kind of comparison for what you might kind of expect out of Spencer. So Kristen Stewart, as we mentioned, she plays Princess Diana. Coles, I love Kristen Stewart. I am a big, big fan of hers, and I have been going all the way back to the Twilight days, I think Twilight movies are actually pretty good. I think she's great in them. I don't want to hear it from anybody. I have a major, major crush on her. I'm so sad. She's getting engaged. She's getting married. Oh, well. No shot for me. But, hey, so be it. Uh, but, no, <laughs> I, I think Kristen Stewart's highly underrated. So I was excited for this performance more than I was the movie going in. But I wanted to know, and starting off, like, what was your kind of hype level for this before you saw it and then just kind of tell us what you liked about it 
tell me what you like. I wouldn't say that I had hype for it. I knew that it was coming out. I knew that Kristen Stewart was in it. So there was interest. But I don't know if I was really hyped to see this film. And that's not a bad thing. Usually for me, it takes me a little bit of time to warm up to autobiographical films because most of them follow a formula. It's um, starting off with childhood. Then you go into teenagehood. Then you go into adulthood. Then you show all these career highlights. Then you show like the ups and downs of fame. And then you end the film on a happy smile. But what I love about this film and what shocked me is how this film goes against the norm of biopic films. It doesn't show you Diana when she was a child. It jumps right into when she's at almost at the, the precipice of being world famous. I think she's already at that level. She's almost like an icon in the British royal family. And it's like the late 80s and everything. And so we're in the midst of her celebrity. And we're able to we're able to understand who she is as a person, what she's gone through in her life, and what she's facing all on this three day weekend. And it's incredible. You know, there's not any exposition. We don't really we don't really get those moments where people just start spitting facts about the leading character. No, you kind of just throughout the whole film, you watch Kristen Stewart and you see how she interacts with the family. You see how she interacts with her husband, who she's estranged from. You see how she interacts with her kids and how she wants to get them out of the situation to where she's under the thumb of this family that really goes against who she is. She's a wild child. She's a free spirit. She loves eating pizza. She loves listening to 80s music. She loves, you know, being out in the spotlight and having fun and having a great fashion sense as well. The um, costume and production design of this film is incredible. But back to Kristen Stewart, in the times that we need to see how the turmoil you know, that she that Diane's facing behind closed doors, how it's eating her up inside and how it's making her like want to self mutilate herself and, you know, you know, think about, you know, how she can get away from this. Stewart is able to encompass all of that pain and she's able to carry these dramatic scenes. Like you honestly believe when you see close ups with her and you see how painful her eyes look and how she just looks like she is just facing a slow death, you know, it it's incredible. It, it's it's a great performance. It's something that's definitely going to be probably the a darling of award season and I wouldn't really mind it at all, at all. And it will finally be a win for the people like you and me who have been on the side of Kristen Stewart and telling her like, "Hey, she's way more than a Twilight film. She did that for an easy paycheck. Who wouldn't?" But now she's able to have enough clout to be able to go out and do these independent films and not worrying about being mainstream, but just doing good material. And this film is full of terrific material. You have the score by Johnny Greenwood that we had a conversation with our, with our friend Don Shanahan, you know, from Every Movie Has a Lesson. And he talked about how the score, he showed a, a gif of like this cartoon character playing different instruments at, at the same at the same time. And it sounded disjointed. And, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion that that's, the, that's what it's meant to be. It's meant to show you the eternal battle of Diana, but through musical musical form. So it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to make you feel in, in a suspenseful way. This film is, has a little bit of suspense in it as well. You know, especially throughout the film, they always talk about how the house that the royal family lives in, that everybody can hear everything. Like, even if you whisper, it's going to get back to somebody to the royal family. They hear everything. And so there's times where Diana is trying to speak truth to what she's feeling and trying to... She has a friend who's a maid, played by Sally Hawkins, who acts as almost like her confidant. And she tells her these secrets and how she's really feeling that she can't express in the public. And there are moments where you're like, oh, no, this is going to get back to Prince Charles. So this is going to get back to the, 
other people and they're going to be able to talk about this and be able to use it against her and pretty much ostracize her from the family even more and seeing this film kind of makes you understand why prince harry and uh, megan have moved away from the family i mean this is something that's been going on for centuries and decades and we see that this is what diane was facing behind the cameras and behind you know the meetings with michael jackson and you know just being a famous humanitarian she was facing the same problems that we humans face on an everyday basis. And it kind of lets you know that, you know, even if you are a celebrity, you're still, you still have problems that you go through. You still have, you know, there could be things that are just tearing you apart and you can't really show it because you're expected to, to live up to a certain image. You're expected to be considered a part of war, a royalty. And if you act outside of that, then you're seen as a problem. And I just love how this film dealt with that issue and it brought new life to who Princess Diana was. And it's an incredible film and definitely something that I'm going to be thinking about a lot over war season. Yeah, I think a lot of what you liked about this, I would agree with. The performance, of course, is the standout. No doubt about that. As you said, she's wonderful. I, I think she's a shoe in to be nominated. I would not say she's a shoe-in to win. For me, there are moments where she completely disappears into this role, though. Um, a lot of that nuanced acting that really showcases her talent is in this role because it's, you said it, It this is not overt type of narrative. There's a lot of facial expressions and a lot of body language that has to tell the story and that's where Stuart excels in this performance and like I said there's moments where you you just can't believe that it's not Princess Diana she's 100% you know transformed into that that person and I, I love it I think she's so good here she carries me through the parts of the movie that I don't like as much because I just am so connected to her and what she is going through in this way there are some moments some of my favorite scenes where she is with her boys they stood out to me they're more traditional filmmaking style i'll talk about some of the parts that don't work as well in a minute but the ones that do work these traditional moments where she's just having a conversation with them and maybe that's because she's at her most most honest and her most vulnerable her most real she's just talking to them and it's adorable um it's so sweet just seeing her be a good mother have that relationship with them and especially when you see these scenes in context of the things that she goes through as a royal before she gets time with them and the things that she has to go through afterwards then there's some moments towards the end of the film that are really strong and powerful one particular where she goes storming across a field to get her son out of a situation that she's like, I'm just no longer going to accept this being a part of your life because somebody else told you it was. It's my decision. I'm your mom is what she's getting. At. And it's, it's wonderful. And I, I think that she is so watchable in this. No matter what you ultimately think of the film as a whole, it's worth seeing because of her and because of the craft. So for me, overall, this is one of those movies that I will respect more than I will like. I don't necessarily feel myself drawn to rewatch this, 
but the filmmaking in it is often breathtaking. The cinematography is gorgeous. It's the technical aspects altogether. They're just exemplary. The way that the shots are framed, the way that she is shown in this immense estate that is almost completely empty, uh, except for these, you know, servants and this royal family. It's it really is able to tell the story of why she has all of this pressure on her and how she is emotionally feeling. It, it was a jolt to me, I'll be honest, because I was going into this and I thought we were going to get the whole story of Princess Diana. I love how you laid it out. Like, I thought we were going to go through how she became a royal, how she got married, all the way up until her tragic death. That's not there. <laughs> it's not there. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to spoil this for you. I don't feel that's a spoiler. I feel like I'm giving you a, a service by telling you don't expect, that's not the story that's being told. This is about her mental health and her emotional state of well-being. Now, for me, I am not a fan of the royal family. That doesn't mean I don't like them as people or whatever, but I don't follow them. I don't care one way or another about the fact that England has a royal family. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's really silly and stupid, honestly. Um, but this created in me a respect for her and what she went through, but also a supreme amount of empathy for the situation that she was put in. It, it made me hate the royal family more on her behalf, honestly. The system that exists over there, it's gross. And and I think that that's a credit to the filmmaking itself because that's the plan. And so I think, it, I hope we're conveying this to you listeners well, like you're not in for this cheery, happy experience with Princess Diana. Like that's not what it's really about. But it is super well made. I would say, Colesse, the movie that kept coming to my mind when I was watching this kind of as a tonal comparison was Phantom Thread. It, it just, it has like a lot of that vibe to it. The production design, the costuming, it's just, it's a similar feeling to when you're watching that movie. Um, but yeah, the things I didn't like, I'll say this, I, it's a very good movie, okay? I don't think it is a phenomenal movie. And the reason is for me, that score that you mentioned, and I know that you're not the only one that loved it. And a lot of people are going to let, that's another connecting point between Phantom Thread, Johnny Greenwood. It, it's a very jazzy score. I think on its own, it's wonderful. I think in the movie, for me, it totally oscillates this whole picture between pretentious and prestigious that's how i would put it there are times where scenes go on so long and they get so in your face dramatic that you're like okay you're really trying too hard at this point and that's what don was saying with this with his like gif was you know at some points it's not just a score in the background the score literally overpowers the entire scene and the storytelling and everything and it is frantic and the point of it, I think, is to show chaos within the, the, the mindset, right? It's, it's doing its job, but it's not enjoyable to watch for me. Um, so that was a real turnoff. And I, I just, it was totally messy for me. There were parts of this movie that are so art house, like 
almost just they're really trying to evoke a mood and there's no dialogue. And then there's other scenes like the ones I talked about that feel like they're in a normal movie. Like you're just in another scene of a normal movie. And it, those didn't always mesh well for me, but I think it's fantastic overall. Was there anything that you didn't particularly like about it? I say this in a review I did of this for Letterboxd that I did like that this film was able to show you different facets. You know, not just showing the focus on Diana, but also showing the focus on Prince Charles, the kids, the family, and the cooks. And while I do like that kind of diversity and not just having it being just singularly on Diana all the time, I, I really don't feel like I need to see scenes of these cooks in the kitchen just talking about what, how they're going to prepare this meal and how important it is. It feels kind of like, okay, like let's, we're going to take a break from all this chaos and we're just going to show you what these cooks are doing. And it, and it feels like a little bit of a placeholder filler, if you could say. Also, I will agree with you that this film does stargaze at itself a lot. Like there are moments where it's just silence and then you're just seeing these wide evoking shots, but it doesn't feel like it's naturally part of the story. It's just like, hey, you know, we're just going to put the camera right here in this field and we're just going to look at it, you know, and, and, and you know, you're going to like it. And it's beautiful. And it's like, yes, I, 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 I can admire that the field looks great, but I'm trying to get back into this film about, about Diana, <laughs> you know, so there there are times where it does get a little bit full of itself and I can't agree. I, I can I can love something. And also, and also not like it at the same time. So the score, yes. Uh, I mean, there are times where it does get so intense, it, it makes your heart beat a little bit. And you you like that factor because you don't often see it with these type of films. But it, oftentimes it feels like a horror film at, at certain moments. And it kind of is kind of weird and confusing at the same time. But it, it's all about being dramatic and showing you just what Princess Diana was under. So I do agree with the subtext of it. I do agree with his intention. The execution it is more hit for me than miss, but I can't acknowledge that there are misses. Well, I think then we're close to being on the same page because we we both gave it like four stars. I mean, I think we're both we both think it's exceptional and it's a, a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. You know, it's just not to me. It's not like the best picture of the year, and I know it's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> But it needs to be a little bit more cohesive for me and and such. But yeah, it, it, overall, it's great. I do think it's important, though. I hope we've noted well, this is not going to be for everyone. It's just not. And so if you go to the theater thinking you're just going to get a normal plot progression type of story, it, you're not. And so you need to be able to enjoy these artsy nature of filmmaking in order to get the most out of this, or you might be wasting your time. So I'll lead that into it is in theaters now. And my recommendation is if you are someone who loved Phantom Thread, that's going to be and Jackie, those are going to be my two comparisons is I would say definitely go see in a theater, support this movie. If you absolutely love phenomenal acting and performances, and you don't care as much about everything else being a perfect flow, but you just want to see awesome technical aspects of a film, then you should definitely go see this. Otherwise, I think if you just are mildly intrigued by it, you might be better off just waiting until it finally hits home video and renting it. Um, what do you think, Coles? I do strongly recommend this. I'm strongly feeling it. For me, if I was to go on the record and be truthful... I think when we talk about films like Jackie and Phantom Thread, those films are incredible. But for me, they don't feel like 
big theatrical experiences. You know, I, I mean, I can appreciate the cinematography and the score, definitely, yes. But it's not something that I would be clamoring to go see on the big screen because I think films like this are intimate as well. And that intimacy can be definitely appreciated on a nice home setup. So I'm strongly feeling this film, but I would say, hey, wait for it to come on on demand and enjoy. I like that point because, yeah, I mean, big TV. You know, I had my fireplace on right next to my television. It was dark. I had surround sound and it was great. So I, it was perfectly acceptable for me i didn't need the theater so all right well the other film that we have to talk about is in Kalesa's estimation probably barely a film <laughs> he's not uh, giving away the goat but this movie is called home sweet home alone and if you can imagine with the title yes it is a sequel slash remake of the home alone original film Come to find out, it's actually sequel number six in this franchise that I had no idea existed beyond Home Alone 2 until now. But this movie showed up in our inboxes. Disney sent us a screener. We didn't have to ask for it. It just was there. And we were hurting for content, folks. We needed something else for this episode, so we watched it. <laughs> All right. It stars Ellie Kemper, Rob Delaney, Archie Yates, who I believe is the kid from Jojo Rabbit. Is that right? Yes. Isling Bia, Keenan Thompson, Pete Holmes, Ali Maki, and Chris Parnell. It is directed by Dan Mazur. It is written by Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel. What's it about? Ten-year-old Max Mercer is left behind at home by himself for the holidays when his family leaves for a vacation to Tokyo and has to take separate flights due to an error in the flight booking. At first, Max revels in getting to do whatever he wants now that he's home alone, but soon he must defend his house from burglars, Pam and Jeff Fritzowski, a couple looking to steal a priceless heirloom from his family. I will let you go first. Is there anything that you found redeemable unlocked about this movie, Gilles? It was very hard. It was like finding a needle in a haystack to pull something redeemable from this film. But I did find something redeemable. There is a scene in this film where... We come into the living room and we see that this family, this kid is watching this film. It's almost like these gangsters are in outer space and they're aliens. And it plays beat for beat like the same classic scene that was in the original Home Alone films where if you don't get your dirty, that that scene. And it was like, and then the father's like, oh, you always hate it when they do the remakes. And I was like, yes, I understand that. There are my, my continuous issues with filmmaking today is all about how there are so many remakes and not enough original content. So I was able to agree with that little bit of humor in the film, but that's the only thing I can say that was somewhat worthy about this film. I have a lot more to say when we go to the dislikes. All right. <laughs> well, okay then. I will say this. This movie follows a whole lot of the same beats as the original. It has a different ending and it, attempts to modernize the situation um and you know it, it makes sense so when was home alone was it early 90s or late 80s i think it was early 90s yeah it was 1990 okay yeah so i was close like right on the money <laughs> both of those basically so you know we're talking 30 years later so society culture has changed there is an interesting part of this that uses modern 
tech and the way it, so execution may not be great but i like the idea that you can retell this story with the way the world is today in mind and i say that because it is pretty unlikely that kids would experience the situation that macaulay culkin experienced in home alone in the original film so i actually understand why this could exist and why it has potential to show this stuff happening in a new way that doesn't mean that i think that they did a good job at doing it but i understand that what this movie's going for the also the break-in attempt that is going on the robbers here the couple that i mentioned in the synopsis they are not nearly as villainous as the robbers in the original home alone so there's an attempt to make us empathize with them they're relatable to us in a way and i actually again not speaking for the execution but i liked the idea of what they were trying to accomplish and the fact that the kid is not innocent he's not like just some you know victim in this whole situation there's a point there's a reason why he's part of this um and I, yeah i is anything else i'm looking at my notes i i think there's a couple of creative things on display you know during the house invasion which you would expect that to be fun and awesome there's a little bit of interestingness there i, I think yeah i, I think here i think if you <laughs> my my issue i'm gonna save it till the end uh tell me what you didn't like about it and then i'll wrap up with my last somewhat positive thought at the very end this film does a weird thing that i've never have seen in a film in recent years where it's made in 2021 and there are references to a lot of things that are in our culture and our society during this era but then it also feels like it's trapped in the late 90s as well. I think, honestly, you could, like, time travel, put this film in 1998, and I don't think you really miss a beat outside of the te technological advancements and social media use because the jokes in this, in this film are just corny. They're, they're, they're sugary sweet, like a bowl of strawberry ice cream. Like, there's literally moments that are just cringy enough that turns you off completely from the film. And yes... It's an audience is probably going to play more better for kids, but I got to take this in. I'm not a kid. I'm a grown man. So I got to take this in as a, take this in as a grown man. And as a grown man, I can say this film is just not entertaining to watch. There are moments where there's a scene where this rich family, obviously they're about to leave on a trip. And so the father somehow forgets the code to lock his house. He asks his kid, Hey, what's the code? And then the kid's like, your mama. And it's like, Oh, Okay. So we're going back to like 1995. Okay. Then there's there's another scene where we, we're having this dialogue that's where this kid is asking for <laughs> This kid is asking for McDonald's. And then the mother and then the mother's like, no, I'm not taking you to McDonald's. And he's like, hey, you can't promise a kid McDonald's and not give it to him. And, and not follow through, yeah. <laughs> and then the father's like, oh, it's a mixed shame. It's like, what is that? It's <laughs> pretty funny, actually. <laughs> and then okay, so you <laughs> So then you also get the robbers who are who are tending to break into this fancy house in this nice neighborhood. How about that they end up crashing a car, they holler all the time, they make a lot of noise, 
and no one in this neighborhood just seems to peek out their window or leave their door and wonder what's going on. Like, the easiest break-in ever <laughs> I've seen in the film. Even more harder than what the villains had to face in um, the original Home Alone films. But also, films like this, it makes me wonder, if you're going to bring this back, if you're going to remake a classic film like this, can you just do a lot better? Can you show that you care? I mean, the CGI in this film, the CGI, once again, another Disney or, tw well, this is 20th Century Studios, so, but another low-budget property that doesn't even try to hide the fact that it has bad special effects. Like, it, it is terrible. Like, literally, they could even get the budget to find out for real ice, or even sometimes snow in this film. And then the way that it resolves itself, it feels like this should have been a Hallmark film. Like, this should have been something to place on a Hallmark or on an ABC family and been, this is not a feature film. This is not something I, I don't think that anybody would go see in a the theater. This is something that is definitely meant for streaming only. For streaming only, And I really struggle to understand why this film had to be made. I, I don't understand why it exists. And honestly, I'm just going to forget that I ever watched it. I'm just going to like do the Men in Black. Get somebody to hit me with a flash and then I forget about it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't have a lot more to say about why it's bad. It's bad. It's not fun. It's it's mostly completely grating and unfunny and a horrible knockoff. And it's cheap. And it's just, I'm over like using the kid who's fat and wearing glasses and an absolute asshole, essentially. Like, there's nothing about this kid. I'm rooting for the robbers, like half the movie, because I think he's a piece of junk you know what i mean and that's a fine line to walk and that's part of what makes home alone so special and that's why films become special is because they catch lightning in a bottle macaulay culkin came out of nowhere and was able to kind of be a jerk but like have a sense of understanding as he went on right like you were you kind of you were able to to get in there with him and, and he wasn't off-putting. This kid is just kind of rude and not likable. You know what I mean? At all. And it's, I, yeah, I, you know, Netflix puts out all these Christmas movies every year. And they're all bad. And people watch them. Okay? People are in the Facebook group posting them now. Hey, did anybody see this train wreck? And I've looked at my face or my letterbox. And everybody's watching it. And everybody's giving it one star. That's why this movie was made, Coles. Because... People are going to watch it and it doesn't matter if it's good. I truly don't think that it matters if it's good or not to the studio because people will watch it and that's the algorithm at work. It's content. It's a name. It's a box on the streaming bar that you can see and say there's something there, right? I do think this is my last positive thing I want to say. I will say I'm not as staunchly in opposition of its existence as you are even though i don't think it's good because of the fact that i think 30 years ago that story is not going to resonate with kids today in the same way i think there's room there was room to tell that story but for kids who are you know seven eight years old now in 2021 who would be able to relate to it because of like technological advancement and stuff so i think there's a there could have been a way to do that in which 
they would have gotten more out of it than going back and watching in 1990 and being like, what is all of this? Luckily, the original also, though, has a timelessness to it. And I would still say 100% introduce your kids to that one. Like, this movie is not it. This movie is bad. This movie is not worthy of you wasting 90 minutes of your life just to go, oh, yes, Aaron and Kales, I agree with you. You could have watched something else. Point blank. It will be streaming on Disney Plus on November 12th. That's it. It's not going to theaters, like he said. Uh, I am not feeling it. I do not recommend it. Kales, <laughs> what's your recommendation? I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it even with like a 10 inch pole. Like I'm not feeling it at all. And it makes me wonder like, what was the thought process? What was the pitch for this? Because think about it. Home Alone was made in 1990. You know, Home Alone 2 came out in the mid late 90s as well. And so the people who watch those films, they're, they're us, you know, me and you came from that generation. So I'm trying to wonder who was the, who was the, um, late 20s or early 30s person, or in your case, um, early 40s, who in our demographic was asking for a new Home Alone? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't asking for this. This film just came out of nowhere. Like, literally to, like, a week ago, when I when you told me about it, that's when I knew it happened. Then the trailer debuted it, and the reaction from the trailer was enough to off-put me from it. But I, this film just feels like something that want to say it was made for the older generation for nostalgia purposes, but why not just keep it at just home alone and home alone too why not why didn't you stop there why was there four more sequels made after this and it's mind-boggling that's all i have to say <laughs> that's it that's that's it it is mind-boggling kill it with fire he says well that's it for us this week on ff plus we've got a much bigger episode prepared for you coming next week so be ready for that uh, we hope that you found a movie that piques your interest in this episode. We always hope that. So maybe you really love trash, and so you want to see Home Sweet Home Alone. I don't know. But maybe it's Spencer, more likely. But we would love to hear what you think if you do see the films discussed. Heck, if you see Home Sweet Home Alone and you love it, not just if you tolerate it. I will qualify this. If you just tolerate it, I don't want to hear from you. But if you love it for some reason please come find us on social media at Feelin' Film, at Black Nerd Magic on Twitter, or in the Feelin' Film Facebook group, and tell us why. Tell us what it is that you think makes this a movie worth existing. Otherwise, yeah, it's worth the discussion, I guess, maybe, to keep ourselves occupied and to get to know each other, and that's about it. But we will be back soon. Until next week, keep Feelin' Film. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, 
stay positive and keep feeling film.